0: I'm Rob. Good night from Ann Arbor. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. First and ten. E back. Two receivers for Wisconsin. Average to throw on first down. Slant incomplete. Intercepted by Michigan. they are out on the field. They're going absolutely crazy. A comeback for the ages. And the agony of defeat. So here comes Jason Schuchel. It's been perfect so far today. This is from 37 yards. Snap down. Kick is up. It's blocked. It's blocked. And running the other way is Appalachian State. And they're going to take this down to the 20. WCBN's Extra Board. You're listening to WCBN Sports, where Michigan basketball happens. Now it's right, off a of screen, Douglas, NBA range, three! Stu Douglas, Michigan wow. wins. 18 seconds, the differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding it to trying to get it, three. Oh, backdoor, Sims, he slams it! Baby! Four point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Sean. Oh boy, four point game, 20 seconds still left. Plenty of time for UCLA. Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot allow a three here. Holiday, low baseline. Pass it wildly out of bounds. 14.1 to go, and now Michigan consensus. it. Long outlet pass into the hands of Collison in the front court. Collison has it. Tough three, partially blocked. shocker in New York City Michigan knocks off the number four team of the country and they'll get Duke tomorrow night for a 2k sports classic championship
1: Here's the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And the Battle of Ohio and Michigan is over. (laughs) No No, need to comment too much about it, but I'll just say that the penalty that was called uh, on behalf of Detroit was perfectly legitimate. Samuelson would have had a breakaway, and... You know, I know there's this Columbus-Michigan rivalry, Cleveland-Detroit rivalry in, in uh, football, college football, pro sports and whatnot. I think the rivalry is good. Um, I think it's great, for instance, that a lot of Cleveland fans showed up for the Detroit uh, games. Uh, they can't get tickets in Cleveland. The games are sold out.
2: We're talking Tigers.
1: Uh, talking basketball here with oh, Le- okay. with LeBron James. I mean, you know, he's clearly one of the... 10 best players that's ever played the game, and he's only 24. Yeah, And what's striking to me, because both of my teams won, both in hockey and pro basketball, um, unfortunate to see fans in Columbus throwing stuff on the
2: ice. That's bad. It's always bad to throw things at a, a playing field or a, a stage unless it's you know called for or requested. But it's particularly dangerous on ice because of course small objects unseen uh, can cause a serious injury if uh, run into by a skate.
1: Yeah, and and the call was perfectly legitimate because the Detroit player, and I think it was Samuelson, I don't remember, who would have had a clear breakaway if the if the guy doesn't play the puck, and it's respectable that Columbus fought back twice in Game 4 to show that they deserve to be in the playoffs. Yes, it's a team with a future. And they've got a future, but the Red Wings are the pros, and they showed it in the series. And similarly, both of these organizations, the Cavaliers and the the, uh, Red Wings, um, are are just the finest-run teams in their respective sports at the moment. There's team chemistry. The players like one another. You can see the camaraderie. And you just don't see that you didn't see that with the Detroit Pistons. They're obviously going through some reorganization and reworking. And when you get into the Eastern Championship finals six years in a row and you're always drafting the 29th or the 28th or 30th player, whatever, every year, year after year, your your talent is going to decline and you're going to age as a team. And this is obviously uh, one of the problems that the Pistons have had. Joe Dumars made a risky trade earlier in the year, and people are critical, but Joe Dumars is the greatest Piston of all time. In my book, he's a fine general manager, and the trade just didn't work out in the short term. But they have a young player that they wanted to get in uh, to the game, and they were freeing up money in uh, unloading Chauncey Billups, who looked like he was coming towards the end of his career. Unfortunately, in basketball, when you get rid of Mr. Big Shot, your best player, Your team is going to deteriorate, and that's exactly what happened to the uh, Detroit Pistons. So local fans should not uh, lament the demise of the Pistons. Uh, Joe Dumars will get the Pistons back, uh, I think, in, in future years. They've got some good young players they can. They've they've got free uh, freed up money now to get some new players, and of course, the Red Wings continue, in my opinion, to be the finest uh, professional sports organization over the last fifteen to twenty years. And we'll see if they can march on.
2: Yeah, their uh, next opponent remains to be uh, a resolved yeah. as a couple of other series play out. But I just want to quickly uh, comment uh, even on a. Uh, an observation that was made on the previous program regarding uh, NHL officiating um, <clears throat> regarding a pretty brutal hit by Donald Brashear um, on the uh, Washington Capitals are playing. Uh,
1: oh, oh, the Rangers. Rangers,
2: right. yeah. And uh, that they were given incidental roughing minors at the time. And uh, the complaint from the uh, sports program there was that, uh, oh, the linesmen should have helped uh, – you know, sign in on that call and say, yeah, it was a pretty brutal hit. Uh, Brashier deserves a bigger penalty than that. Well, the league, of course, today uh, suspends Brashier for six games. Mm-hmm. And uh, that seems like the right thing. And the, the length of a suspension is largely determined in NHL penalties by the extent of the injury right and which of course can't be known at the time that the initial penalty has been, penalty has been assigned as well as the reputation
1: of the player because i know Bruce sure. has had some issues exactly in the past. yeah
2: he's you know a well known so called goon yeah, in in the, he's, the game pay, he's
1: a paid fighter
2: and uh so you know without any further uh, information other than what was seen or glimpsed during the course of the game itself i don't think the officiating is to be faulted i think the league is to be uh, praised for, you know, a lengthy suspension of, you know, serious uh, punishment It for all intents and purposes could uh, be the rest of the playoffs for him. So, yeah. um, although I'd like for one would like to see the Capitals advance. Um, well, I don't think game, uh,
1: they've got a game seven coming up.
2: Uh, they do, uh, of course. And uh, I'm hoping they'll pull through with that. I don't think that. Uh, and people have made this complaint about Sidney Crosby that refs favor the superstars, so that they'll, you know, that there's some sort of rigging involved, so mm-hmm. that the superstars will will go deep into the playoffs. Um, I don't think that that's true. Uh, certainly not in Alexander Ovechkin's case. This guy's phenomenal. Everybody should hope that they'll advance, just so we can continue to enjoy his incredible uh, play. Uh, he's, I mean, Datsuk certainly is one of the greats on Detroit, but Ovechkin is wow, he's something else. He's a combination of about four different kinds of player.
1: Yeah, he's and, uh, a, he's, a, he's speed, power, and flair for the dramatic, very passionate
2: Yeah, and, and an exciting player to watch. So I don't think that it's uh, true or fair to say that uh, the playoffs are rigged because certain players are going to be favored with calls. I think certain players are often disfavored with calls. Uh, that is, uh, a Sean Avery or a Donald Brashear is going to get a a penalty more likely than we're going to call a penalty on a guy who happened to check Ovechkin.
1: Yeah, well, known thugs are are watched more closely, and sometimes, as the saying goes, they're guilty before proven innocent. But uh, um, now, even in basketball, there's there's some criticism of fouls that LeBron James gets, but the fact of the matter is there's lots of non-calls. There are far more non-calls in basketball than phantom fouls in my book. And the same is probably true in hockey, and obviously the officiating in the playoffs in hockey differs a little bit from playoff to regular season, right. uh, for obvious reasons. They they do want the players to determine the game, and that's the way it should be. Um, but you know, LeBron James gets <laughs> he gets hammered quite a lot. Um, they don't call every foul; they do call some fouls that are maybe a little marginal. But you got to look at a lot of the fouls they don't call. Right. So anyway. <clears throat> the playoffs will continue, and the Michigan-Ohio rivalry will resume uh, here at Michigan Stadium uh, One, in November.
2: <laughs> right. One last sports-related <laughs> comment from me, because this is a fairly lengthy sports tangent we've uh, enjoyed here. Yeah, yeah, we don't do sports uh, too often uh, this uh, long. Though, interestingly, Hunter Thompson uh, did a lot of his uh, most interesting political writing as a sports journalist. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so there is a lot of overlap. Kentucky Derby's coming up, for example. But uh, I just wanted to mention how utterly bizarre I found it that uh, how much time is spent on the radio and in the press going on and on about the ramifications of the NHL draft. I don't know of any other. Oh, the
1: NFL draft. Uh, uh, NFL, yeah, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, the football yeah. Uh, draft. Uh, I, it's like it's a game in and of itself. It, there's more talk and more hype about it almost than the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, well, that's because it's a two-day affair, and they, my gosh, they spend one day, I think that all of Sunday they devote to the later rounds of the draft. And, uh, I, you know, I thought that, you know, just, just as a sort of guy that follows uh, a lot of sports, um, maybe a little bit too much for my own good, I thought that the Detroit Lions have completely remade their team, and I think that's good. I think they did draft well. Um, this uh, young quarterback that they picked, uh, and they've had some bad luck with some quarterbacks, but uh, he—he's probably the real deal. Uh, the Detroit Lions have not had a great quarterback since the '50s. That—that that is frightening. You know, Bobby <laughs> Lane was a famous Detroit Lion uh, who uh, was known for his his after-hours escapades, <laughs> and rumor had it that he played a number of games. Uh, either drunk and or hung over, but the the young fellow from Georgia was actually called in high school, possibly the first player taken in the draft by a football expert, so I think they've got the real deal here, and I think that their second first-round pick that they actually pilfered from Dallas, which uh, I love because I hate the Cowboys, (laughs) um, I think is also... uh, the, the best player at, at his position that they picked in the draft, so the the Lions are going to be an exciting team next year, even if they continue to lose.
2: Well, let's face it, they could hardly be worse
1: than hardly last year. Worse. I mean, you know they 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 need to work a little bit still <clears> on that <throat> offensive line, but they've now got, I think, three big playmakers uh, in Calvin Johnson and the Pettigrew kid, um, and. Uh, Presumably, their their new starting quarterback. Uh, Hope
2: for the a the very hungry, wealthy uh, man,
1: uh, guaranteed forty one million dollars. That's uh, amazing, and it's interesting in this era of uh, shrinking uh, paychecks, economic turmoil, and uh, general anxiety about the economy, and of course all the uproar about pay of CEOs, TARP funds, and mm-hmm. whatnot. That we're, you know, we're seeing sports uh, stars still paid quite a lot of money, but uh, this could change in, in upcoming years because we already saw this past year that half the NBA teams had to borrow money uh, for, for ongoing operations. And uh, these high ticket prices that these ballparks, I don't know if you've seen the new Yankee Stadium, but, I mean, they're charging $2,000 for seats for regular season games along the you know the box seats. Those seats are empty. Nobody's going to pay $2,000 to go uh, watch a baseball game in Yankee Stadium. That's crazy, and that's uh, the irresponsibility of George Steinbrenner. But the sports are all a little different. Baseball's the one sport that still doesn't have uh, sort of socialism as a concept and how the revenue is split up. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, you can look at the the weaker teams in the NBA and see a profound drop in attendance, and some of those – Uh, 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 franchises are in very economically down cities like memphis and i I just i don't know i don't get it i don't think a uh, a uh, franchise is going to last in memphis for any sustained period of time
2: no it's not been good in memphis for quite a while Uh, Maybe shift gears into a more political terrain here. Speaking of economic downturns, uh, I don't know. This isn't quite a brain damage award, but just a sort of a bleak cynicism award to Silvio Berlusconi. Who would have ever thought that he would emerge once again as Italy's prime minister after having been uh, disgraced, uh, you'd think. (laughs) Repeatedly. Repeatedly, right. On all sorts of grounds. for the last time on numerous occasions. But but one of the reasons that it's
1: important to realize why he has this little... You know, uh, share on power on an ongoing basis is he owns so much of the media there. indeed, he, he owns, owns a
2: billionaire. It's forty percent of, like of Italy's media.
1: Rupert Murdoch, and of course, the analogy is not the same because Italy is, you know you know Murdoch owns important news and, and television uh, properties here in the United States now in The Wall Street Journal and Fox. But there are many, many other competing ent- entities that can cut them down to size. And Italy is you know a much more compact. Country and uh, he can influence uh, the, the percentages of what he owns in terms of television is staggering.
2: It's like almost eighty percent. It's crazy. It's uh, monopolistic for sure and nearly. Uh, anyway, um, a little item here, rather bizarre. Um, Silvio Berlusconi, Italy's prime minister, with a flair for surprise, yesterday threw preparations for the group of eight summit in July into a spin by announcing he wanted to move the venue from a small island off Sardinia to the medieval town of L'Aquila, which was recently devastated by the earthquake uh, and he says quote what seat would be more appropriate than a land wounded by the earthquake i don't know if he's making some sort of metaphoric reference to the uh, collapse of the economic uh, superstructure there upon which uh, western capital states uh, have arisen but he later went on to say this to me is the most uh, bizarre comment that um, some diplomats uh, have uh, accepted, uh, expressed uh, skepticism, asking how the Italian government could secure a large area where thousands are now living in tents from the likely protesters, such as those in central London, for the G20 summit this month. Mr. Berlusconi responded by saying, quote, The no global will not have the heart to wound a city already hit by the quake. In other words, let's have it here uh, so we don't have to, you know, sink any money into uh, development or a security because it's already all tore up and uh, there won't be anything for protesters to smash. Well, I don't think the protesters r- really go to smash things. I think it's when there's confrontations with the police that it turns into an ugly mob that then smashing is done. I think uh, most protesters simply want to be seen by the various media outlets covering it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a bizarre idea, though, of a G8 summit in uh, a town where... In rubble. ...basic services are not really up and running. Well, Why make... not just have it somewhere in uh, uh, the Swat Valley of Pakistan?
1: Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's a new strategic uh, concern of uh, the G8. Oh, um, actually, we should say the G1 uh, minus, minus 7 because I dare say that, yeah, the United States is... Uh, uh, the next thing you know, we're gonna be—we're gonna have three wars. We're gonna be fighting in Pakistan as well. Hopefully not. But uh, Berlusconi never ceases to amaze me, and I'm always surprised that he somehow wiggles his way back into power. But that's the nature of Italian politics.
2: Uh, it's the coalition system. Coalition system, and you it's, have these really fragile. Uh, Alliances that, and re- Israel has the same problem, where you're relying on the support of smaller parties who back away at a moment's notice from a coalition.
1: And fascinating too to you know read about the whole post-war, and I'm talking post uh, Second World War involvement of the American government mm. in, in in Italian politics. Very much so. There's been quite a lot of uh, money funneled into. The Christian Democrats primarily, um, I'm not sure if that's actually officially Berlusconi's party at the moment. He may have renamed it uh, after himself or possibly <laughs> in honor of Mussolini. Uh, one wonders, uh, inquiring minds want to know, but uh, yeah, this the CIA, of course, has been in the news lately because of the controversy over the uh, torture memos and the waterboarding and the role of the Bush administration is quite clear, and I think that Obama blew it temporarily, but I think it was wise for him to pull back and then dump it on to uh, Eric Holder, the Attorney General, to de- determine uh, what will happen. This is obviously going to be a divisive issue, and I politically understand why Obama, quote, wants to look forward, uh, but I think that a provided that we get a version of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's, I'm not talking about a special commission, because I don't think that's going to be adequate at this point. I'd actually rather see Holder uh, investigate uh, the actions and and let the chips fall where they may, and allow the process to work, quote-unquote, the way it should. Um, Ruling out uh, prosecutions, I think, is a mistake, but uh, at least exposing the truth. Releasing the memos was the correct thing to do. Um, Calling for moving on may not have been. Yes, there is an element of, yes, we need to move on, and I understand why Obama does not politically want to get into a divisive sideshow, um, and it is a sideshow to some degree, when he's more concerned about you know the economy, reforming health care, reforming education, working on the global warming, dealing with the auto industry. I mean, this guy has a smorgasbord of problems that are on his plate at the moment and the torture as disgusting and reprehensible as it was uh, we now know and from books uh, and articles in, in respectable publications like The New Yorker the New Yorker the New York Review of Books, the New York Times and other inv- and, and uh, you know journalists like Jane Meyer and, and Seymour Hirsch and whatnot that this torture um, has disgraced the United States um, internationally. And if we indeed are going to prosecute Japanese soldiers after World War II for waterboarding, if we are going to court-martial American soldiers in Vietnam for waterboarding, uh, the standards need to remain the same sure. the United States is to remain credible in this area of uh, international law. So while there may be an element of divisiveness, a truth and reco- reconciliation concept is completely necessary in this
2: case. And I say let the chips fall where they may. I would say that the the president doesn't need to worry about that sort of clean. I mean, as you say, there are programs to advance, economic matters to pursue, yeah. and it shouldn't be the job of the chief executive to investigate no, the crimes. Exactly. This is a legal matter. This it should be done in a proper side channel. Um, but at the same time, it should be possible to move forwards and to progress in fixing all the problems that uh, beset the nation. And at the same time call to task those who have so badly uh, to say tarnished is is even a a meager term yeah Um, it's it's disgraceful disgraceful and of course the Abu Ghraib
1: photographs that came out uh, many years ago eliminated any chance whatsoever of the grandiose concept that the neoconservatives had in terms of remaking the Middle East right that just ended with that those expose's and exposures, uh, pardon the, ex- the expression, because this, as Donald Rumsfeld said at the time, or a few bad apples, was not the case. This was policy that originated from the highest levels of the American government. And when Dick Cheney is the face of the former administration defending these policies, so be it. That's a political game that Obama wins Anyway, and indeed, it's absolutely correct to say that it's not his job; um, it's the job of the Justice Department. So I think that Obama has wisely seen the the furor from mm-hmm. the so-called leftist uh, uh, activists and part of his base the move on people, et cetera, et cetera. We don't want to characterize all Amer- the, the people that want to see retribution as only leftists, because I think there are probably even some conservatives. Like John Dean, for instance.
2: Well, and just your average, ordinary, so-called decent American. I yeah. mean, uh, everybody is uh, sickened and appalled by these images, and I, I suppose there were some uh, more twisted types who found it amusing, or well, that serves them right. You know, they're A- America's enemies. Uh, but I think revulsion is the uh, is the normal response to the kind of images that we were. Sure. Uh, subjected to.
1: Yeah, and when you hear about uh, detainees uh, Zubaday I I believe that's how his name is correctly pronounced by the way, I think I've called him Zubaday, but anyway, Zubaday you know, being waterboarded 182 times several years after he'd been in custody, that just strikes me as beyond the pale Uh, he certainly has no more valid information, and when you find out that the torture of him Uh, led to some of the, quote, evidence that was used by the Bush administration to justify uh, linking al-Qaeda to uh, Saddam Hussein, you know, as a pretext for the war in Iraq. Uh, It's just sickening. This is the fruit of the the, the torture sessions.
2: Well, and that's where you start to get into the area of war crimes, because to use bad evidence gleaned from torture sessions to bring an entire nation to war to essentially doom the economy. These are crimes of the greatest magnitude. And to think back to, uh, Bush, uh, Bush's, uh, uh attorney general's, uh, quip, and I call it a quip, uh, yeah. with great distaste that the Geneva convention has been rendered quaint. I mean, This is just unparalleled language in the legal history of uh, any nation's systematic rule of law. And, uh, boy, you've got to take these people to task for uh, such gross neglect and misconduct at the highest level.
1: Yeah, and, of course, the yes man that was involved in that was Alberto Gonzalez. That's the guy. And it's fascinating because uh, we heard about uh, Jane Harmon in the news extensively last week. There's a very interesting article, just a little short note in the uh, May 11th edition of the Nation magazine by uh, John Nichols. Actually, it's by Robert Dreyfus. excuse me, uh, about this. And it's interesting. I'll just read a paragraph or two from this because it's uh, interesting (laughs) all the way around. Uh, Could it be more embarrassing? Jane Harmon, the hawkish pro-Israel California Democrat, tells a suspected Israeli spy— that she'll, do, that she'll do whatever she can to quash an espionage trial of two former officials of APAC, and ends the conversation with a 24-ish, this conversation doesn't exist, quote-unquote. But it does, and it's been caught on tape by a court-sanctioned legal FBI wiretap that got leaked to and published by Congressional Quarterly's Jeff Stein. Whoops. And incidentally, it's important to understand that. Uh, this is not a unauthorized NSA wiretap. This is a court sanctioned legal FBI wiretap,
2: done according to the rule of law through the proper channels.
1: Yep. Anyway, Dreyfus continues. About four years ago, the FBI and the and the Justice Department began investigating Harmon. The charge that she would told APAC she would help kill the indictment of uh, ex APAC official Steve Rosen and Ken Wiseman if APAC could help her get appointed as chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. According to Stein, the FBI investigation of Harmon was halted by none other than Alberto Gonzalez, who did Harmon a favor in order to secure her support for the illegal warrantless NSA surveillance program. In particular, Gonzalez wanted Harmon to help suppress a New York Times report on the program. Harmon denies any wrongdoing. For the record, by the way, she was not appointed uh, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. She has a little bit, despite being a, quote, liberal uh, California female, a little bit of a rivalry with Nancy Pelosi. And when Pelosi emerged as speaker, mm-hmm. she uh, undermined Jane Harmon. Now, whether she knew about this other stuff, we don't know. But uh, there is a little bit of a rivalry there between the two for other reasons um, that we can only speculate about, but... It's interesting that uh, Pelosi did not fall for the bait, but of course it's fascinating that, um, as we well know, APAC, which uh, is uh, superbly exposed in the, um, uh, oh, the book, uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm the drawing, lobby, the lobby, the is the Israeli lobby um, by John Mearsheimer, and uh, I'm trying to think of the name of his co-author. writing partner, yeah, but. Um, n- that's a well a book well worth reading regarding the disproportionate power that AIPAC continues to have, and we saw last week that the Israeli government once again uh, is disputing uh, tr- or trying to dispute figures about the total number of casualties uh, regarding their recent invasion of Lebanon. Um, not to be, su- not to anyone's surprise here, but. Uh, um, This is, you know, an interesting story that I guess we need to know a little bit more about, and perhaps it would be appropriate if we get uh, an investigation.
2: (laughs) Yeah, investigations are good. Um, Of course, the Israeli Army was charged with the task of uh, doing an investigation um, into uh, complaints by human rights organizations that there were a number of— Extremely racist graffiti tags left all over the Gaza Strip uh, after that most recent uh, military incursion And <clears throat> despite the big hullabaloo over the obviously knuckleheaded racist, racist uh, Rhetoric of uh, Iran's Ahmadinejad um, uh, Photographs exist of these uh, pieces of graffiti and uh, the Amnesty International Human Rights Watch And uh, they're in English and Hebrew Uh, I'll just read a couple of the ones uh, written in Hebrew in Gaza. You voted Hamas. We came to eliminate you. Death to the Arabs. I mean, this is just your classic, uh, um, let's see, uh, for the sake of the Israelis of the south, get rid of Hamas. The eternal nation, a Jew does not expel a Jew. How much longer? Go army. Just... uh, Pretty explicit stuff. And, of course, Israeli's army doing the investigation itself says, well, no, there really is no evidence. Probably because they just knocked the wall down.
1: Yeah, and while there have been some little glimmers of hope regarding some changes of policy by the Obama administration, I wouldn't get too optimistic. Let's remember at the end of the day the fundamental problem with the dynamics between Israel and America regarding the political involvement of Congress and presidential candidates – is that um, because of the power of of some groups like AIPAC and others, uh, because they're not alone, um, the Democrats are overly reliant on Jewish political groups for their own fundraising. And, of course, the Republican Party has this bizarre sort of propinquity uh, between the state of Israel as a religious Mm -hmm. uh, Zionist uh, movement and part of this new... Uh, and it's, it's very interesting. The evangelical connection. The evangelical connection and this, this continuing phrase that America is a Judeo-Christian nation or that it was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Right. I'm not aware of, of the fact, by the way, that there were too many Jews living in the United States. In well, there were, of 1776.
2: Course, yeah, but uh, <laughs> there's no language in the Constitution which uh, suggests an explicitly Judeo-Christian No. Ensemble.
1: There were a variety of religious thinkers amongst our founding fathers, but this is part of the new myth um, that has been promulgated by the uh, the teabag crew, the teabag crew and uh, they that may be, that may be the name of their new party, <laughs> American Tea Bag Party, because uh, I think that the Republicans are.